Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Fizzban's been keeping secrets, but now they are ready to be revealed. With the new book, Fizzban's Vault of Draconic Secrets, you'll discover a wealth of never-before-seen draconic power. The over 50-page book from Splinterverse Media includes dragon-themed subclasses for every class. Artificers can harness the power of gems as a gemologist. Druids can transform into dragons as members of the Circle of Scales. Rangers can track and hunt massive monsters as dragon stalkers. Warlocks can be empowered by the Great Worm Patron. And these are just four of the dragon archetypes that await you inside this book. Whether you're looking to bring draconic flair to character creation or level up your game with dragon-inspired feats, horde magic items, draconic gifts, trinkets, adventure hooks, and more. Fizzban's Vault of Draconic Secrets has everything you need to get your dragon on. Available now on the Dungeon Master's Guild. Welcome everybody to today's episode. Uh, I am blessed once again, like I was a few short months ago, to be in the same room with the inimitable Lewanika Miller. Lewanika, how are you this fine... Friday. Friday? Friday. We're Friday. actually recording on a Friday, which we don't usually do. I know. But here we are, Friday night, ready to throw down at the mic and make sure we've got some great content coming out for everyone to listen to. And I am excited. Yeah. We did part one of this great book. Yeah. I'm looking forward to part two, wrapping it up, getting into uh, the rest of the book and f- talking about what we like and what we didn't like. Yeah. So tonight, we're going to be talking more from Fizzbin's Treasury of Dragons, the latest Wizards of the Coast D&D 5. It's not really a campaign book. I wouldn't call it a campaign book. It's a... It's a source book. It's a source book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a source Solidly book. in the yeah. source book yeah. avenue. Yeah. Um, the last time we had a source book was around this time last year. We had Tasha's. Tasha's. Yeah. Everything else has been either a campaign supplement or a campaign book yep. or Adventure Path of late. Yep. Good things for the most part with, you know, quibbles here or there, but good things. This is solidly a source book. Yeah. There is a lot of storyteller DM content here. There are a lot of player options. So there's good content for both sides of the screen, which I think is a positive. I think it checks all the boxes that Wizards and their parent company Hasbro wants us to check. But at the same time, there's enough on either side and... I actually think we have some great insights based on the interview that you all heard a few days ago yeah. from us uh, with the uh, folks at Splinterverse. Yeah, with Jimmy and Matt from Splinterverse, yeah. Yeah, a great point was made during that interview. The secret sauce of anything that's player option is, it really is DM content. Yeah. Because yeah. if your players have options and they're happy, your job as a storyteller is easier. Yep. That's a tale, a song that we've been dancing around for about yep. a year now Yep, uh, that we have not been able to put so succinctly into words. Yep. And that is a mantra I'm going to keep singing because you are absolutely right. I'm going to be so bold as to say I feel stronger about this book that we're going to be talking about tonight, the Fizzbins book from Wizards of the Coast. I feel stronger about this book after talking with Jimmy and Matt 
because we just talked with them literally last night. Like last uh, night, yeah. Like, not even twenty four yeah. hours ago at this point from our conversation. Yeah. And I got to tell you, we recorded part one before we talked to them. Yep. By about a week. Yep. There are elements of it we were pretty hard on. We were pretty hard on it. Yep. That after our conversation with Jimmy and Matt. I've actually second-guessed some of my hardline stances. I think my feelings were justified. Yeah. But I have a much better understanding today than I had before yesterday. And looking at that and then looking at what we have to go in today, which, albeit was, for me personally, the better part of the book anyway. By an order of magnitude, yeah. Right. Yeah. I can look back at the other stuff where I was, I believe I graded it a B, B minus. After the conversation we had, I would like to formally submit that I was wrong and I can hmm. see my way pretty easily to a B plus to A, certainly with this next part we're going to get into. But I really think that Josh asked a fantastic question. I did a bit of a follow-up, so we want everybody to listen to that interview. <laughs> but there's a question towards the end of that interview that is specifically changed my opinion about this book. Interesting. Um, and I think that I like what I'm reading a lot more. Hmm. I do stand by what I said. Yeah. This is the book that will not be my favorite to read, but this will get the most use. Yeah. I think that's a very true statement. That remains true. But I feel better about the book today than I did 24 hours ago. So I'm not going to go that far. I'm going to say that not only do I still stand by everything that I said in that first episode, I still feel the same about the beginning of the ep- about the first part of this book. I think that also you are correct that the part that we're going to be talking about tonight is the far and away stronger part of the book. And I think that it is because this book doesn't have the same sort of flaws that we saw in the first half, right? What did we say in the first half? We said in the first half that that there was a trail that you could follow to find cool things, but that the cool things weren't really in the first half. It was a lot of us saying, well, if you do this and you do that and you do this, then you've got a cool thing, right? Like when we yeah. talked about the feats, right? Yeah. But how we're like, hey, look, look, the feats are now broken out where it's like, you've got feats that have a one point ASI and you have feats that have a named ability, right? And now you've got 13 named abilities and and uh, I don't remember if it was you or Glenn had said, well, yeah, now you can make your own feat by taking two of those abilities. Now you've got a feet. Isn't that great? Wasn't that nice of them to put that in the book? And I was like, well, but they didn't put that in the book. We're doing that now that we see it. And we think that's where it's going. I think that there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of nuggets in the first half that you can pull out and put together and make really, really neat things. But those really neat things aren't actually in the first half of the book. In this part of the book, when we're talking specifically about the monstrous section on dragons, which we're going to talk a lot about tonight, but also about the even in like uh, the smaller sections that we're going to kind of dance around here the horde and the bestiary and everything like that they're more explicit about the cool that's yeah. there right it's, they, it's they a lot lay more it polished. out yeah they're a lot more polished yeah yeah I, I would say and i don't know how this this was put together i wasn't part of any board meetings was not part of a writer's room uh, on this but i would say that the tlc certainly went towards this latter section of the book it went to but i mean if you're going to do a, a book about dragons it maybe that's where your tlc needs to be yeah i think that that's where the tlc happened the lore in the allergy lended itself to the dragons and i thought felt those themes roll throughout the dragons, basically as they were described, flavor text throughout. I think a lot of that kind of really flowed really well. That was here. I mean, it was it was absolutely here. Yeah. And I think that, that, that it works out really well. I love the bestiary. I think it had great, great elements and creatures. We're yeah. going to talk about a couple things that really stand out. Yep. There's one thing that stood out for me that I immediately put into the game I am running yep. next. Yep. Like any good bestiary, the more that you read it, the more good things you find in it. It's it's kind of like it's it's like that game where it's like, you know, pick pick the thirteenth book off your bookshelf and open to page forty two and read the fourth sentence and then build a campaign on it, you know, kind of thing. Like it's yeah. one of those like every time you open the bestiary, when you read a new creature and you're like, okay, I'm what am I gonna do with this particular creature? The sauce is there. Um and and yeah, you know, sure. Did they spend all their TLC on the second half of the book because it's the treasury of dragons? Okay, sure. That doesn't mean that the first 50 pages should be weak. And I think yeah. the I think it's fair to say that the first 50 pages of this book are weak. 
they're not strong. I will grant you they're not strong. I don't think they're necessarily weak. I think they are average. I think if you were to stat this book, the first section is a 10. It's a 10. I don't think it gets a negative, but it certainly doesn't get any positives. I think there are elements of it that might edge towards 11, but there are also elements that really sit solidly at 10 and are really looking hard at 9. Maybe if they included the kobolds, I'd have felt a lot better about it on 11 to 12. I mean, we'll talk about that when we get to the Bastyria. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to the Bastyria, about the fact that they have done us, they have done kobolds dirty in this book and just... Yep. Let, let's be honest, kobolds were treated like kobolds, right? <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's that's what it is. Anybody who's ever had brilliant. the Council of Worms box set remembers how badly kobolds were treated and and whatnot. They will they will they will let you know how kobolds get treated, and that's exactly what happened to them. I happen to love that particular lineage. I love it as a player. It is something that I find immeasurably fun. I think playing against trope with kobolds is even better. Uh, and I thought that the player options really allowed people to lean into that well that we saw in the UA. Uh, I'm going to fight on that hill. Uh, mm -hmm. Very disappointed. The only way Wizards will really make up for that particular thing for me is if they put out, and I don't care if they just do it digitally with a print-on-demand, yeah. but if they just do something like they did with the Turtle package, but make it the Cobalt package, package, I I would shut my cake hole right away i would love them to put out a kobold package like that would be a that'd be an amazing way to rectify this grievous error um is to put out the kobold package. package done done, done. absolutely done. Yeah. absolutely totally give uh, me that roar give me that roar. give me the roar exactly or as we like to say those of you who love strike do the roar <laughs> just do the roar since we can't give you the roar, let's carry on with the chapter that we didn't get to last time we talked about Fizzbins and get into lairs and hordes. It rhymes with roar. It's not quite the same thing, though. I mean, it's it's a... So we, we didn't get to the, the lairs and hordes section last time uh, we talked. We There was so much stuff to talk about for for a section that i'm calling weak there was a lot of things to talk about and i think there was a lot to kind of hash out in in that initial section um and so we're not going to talk a lot about the lairs and horde section tonight there are some good things that we want to go ahead and, and kind of bring up and talk about but the bulk of what we want to talk about tonight is this incredible draconomicon section in the middle of the book and and i mean incredible in sort of every sense of the word yeah it is every 100 pages of detailed, brilliant information about how to bring each and every individual type of dragon into your game. And it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So we're going to dive into that a lot. And then, uh, unlike Wizards, we're not going to forget about the Bestiary. We're not going to – well, we're going to forget about the Kobolds because they're not in there. But we're going to talk about the Bestiary also at the end. And like uh, like Lewinika said, pull out a couple things that us. we really enjoyed uh, in, in the Bestiary itself. Um, but I, I will just say up front, read the Bestiary, put it away. Read the Bestiary again, put it away. Keep reading the Bestiary. You will keep finding things that are just neat in there. So – that's kind of our plan for this evening. So, absolutely, Luiniga, tell me your general impressions about the Lairs and Hordes chapter. I know you run a draconic game, yes. uh, partially. How do you find this working for you? I love it because it puts a 5e spin on it where I've been homebrewing it from other sources for a while now. We did our episode on Lairs and Actions, uh, so I basically took 3.5 and even 2.0 information, mostly the the 2E Draconomicon version, and just plussed it up to 5E to make it work. And just take the, took things and translated them into layer actions or took things and translated them into environmental actions. Yep. This has actually done that, put, canonized a lot of it, given me some great ideas. In some cases, some unique ideas that I hadn't actually thought of. In other cases, some things that I was probably already doing. But the fact that it's here and it's at my fingertips and it's part of the book. So when I use D&D Beyond and the Encounter Builder or anybody uses Roll20, and they're using the official documentation, it's easier to do. So as a storyteller, anything that's easier for me to deal with so I can bring it up at a whim. I'm not a pen and paper artistic individual, so I spend a lot of time finding maps. 
I now have a bunch of maps that I can use that are going to be uh, exceptionally useful. I loved the layer section for that purpose. Do I think it was the most innovative? Mm, maybe not. Do I think it was the most spectacular and something jumped out at me as being, wow, this is brilliant. I've never seen this before. No. Yeah. But it's absolutely what I needed to have in this book. It is a uh, a key item that is a lynch. This is a building block section of the book. Yep. This section not here, I like this book significantly less. This book becomes less useful for me if I'm still going back two or three editions to find material that I now have to take the time to plus up. Yep. Um, so I love the fact that it's here. Yeah. So you, you can't probably see the note that I made. The note that I have throughout this says story hooks. This is a fantastic chapter to tie in how a dragon's lair and a dragon's horde in particular factor into your story. And so they continue to go ahead and bring up certain aspects. Why they have spent a lot of time working on the dungeons part of this game. They have, they've been investing in VTT type stuff. They've been, you can get terrain. You can do, do all these things. You can, you've got, you can, you've got trap engines. You've got all these things that kind of build in that kind of, uh, quasi exploration portion of your games. And they are finally taking a look and spending some time on the dragon part of the game. I mean, that's the other half of the title. And so finally we're figuring out ways because. I'll be honest, the reason why I don't run any draconic games is because up until this book, dragons have just kind of been like, it's a creature. It's not that big a deal. Whatever. Like, they're special creatures. Sure, they're they're cool creatures. They're big creatures. They're hard creatures. But they had no flavor. They had no story. They they were very superficial. This is finally a book that, that starts to break that down. Looking at what we have here, and this is not to cast shade, it makes me really look forward to whatever they're going to do to revamp the monster manual at some point in the future. Because this and several of the other more recent things and some of the stuff we've talked about with the way they were now doing stat blocks has really illuminated some critical opportunities with the monster manual that they just didn't have. Yep. And dragons were chief among it. I love the fact that each of the stat blocks are reprinted here. I love the fact that we now get bonds, traits, flaws for the dragons. That's a different section. But essentially, these are the things that we needed in order to make this book better. We needed to build dragons up from the ground. We need to start from their home. Yeah. And then we need to get to them, their life cycle, their thought processes, And their final form. Yeah. yeah. You know, the thing that was absolutely missing. We never got their final form. The ancient dragon was tough, but it wasn't even the highest CR creature in the game. No. And that's the end of the title. The ancient, the ancient, or the great worm. Yeah. That's a campaign ender. Yeah. There was not a dragon in this game that was a campaign ender. Yep. It was it, it. The name of the game is not Dungeons and Tarasks. It's Dungeons and Dragons. And finally, they're giving some service to building out the dragon part of the game. And I think that the dragons now are better for it. They really Absolutely. are. Um, and it really starts, like you said, it starts here with defining where they live. What are the things that are in their in their lairs? You know, how do their layers come to be? All that kind of rich story farmland to build why, not just what a dragon is, but why a dragon is. Josh, you mentioned this story about their environment and what they're dealing with, but this is what makes a great campaign is you've got a party that's got to deal with this. They've got to fight through this environment what minions does the black dragon have in there? Is it going to be some razorback lizard folk? Is it going to be some slods? Whatever the case may be, there's a whole level there just to find the layer. Then they've got to go through the environmental things. This is where the exploration piece comes in. This is where some of those uh, specific ranger types and some of those hunter types uh, come in. Is like, how do you find this? Uh, for those who listened to our interview yesterday, if you're going to use some of those alternate 
great, great, great subclasses out of the Splinterverse book. Yeah. Finding the location. You, this is what you do, but having a ranger that is swamp as their preferred environment so you're not suffering exhaustion yeah. on this six-mile trek through this dragon's territory yeah. where he knows you're there, but it literally... They're not a threat unless they can make it through to this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know that kind of thing. Or it's like, I'm going to send my wormling out to see if they're a threat. Yeah. Uh, even And even, you know, beyond that, but just the way that they tied in, you know, not only can a lair have regional actions because of the environment that it's in, but also how it tied in horde items to the regional effects and how, so the regional effects are not just because of the area is not prone to earthquakes because it's, because it's volcanic. It's also prone to earthquakes because there's 250,000 gold pieces sitting in a cave somewhere messing up the, the 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 substructure of where it lives right yep. not supposed to have that much gold in one area right you know so it's like it's messing up the substructure of the and that's why the caves are unstable that sort of thing is really kind of starting to bring some real depth and some real roundness to what we've got here so plus little details on plundering a horde how do you get things out yeah. you know and just the rules on how to make up a horde. I mean, honestly, if anybody who gamed in 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 one e and two e, dragons have this ludicrous treasure. It's there. Basically, you kill the thing. Everybody figures it out. It's eighteen thousand cards back to town. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> I love this concept, and it's something that I saw in Babylon Five after the shadows were gone, where all of the shadow minions were making a mad rush for the technologies and the things left behind. And the good guys are like, oh my God, they're, they're grabbing all this stuff. And they had to deal with that. And then there were booby traps and all that. <laughs> you know, I actually, uh, I, I actually have some a sense that that would be a good campaign. Like, great heroes kill the dragon. You're now a bunch of first levels and your job is really to like just protect caravans. Prevent the power vacuum, yeah. That, that are, your job is to protect uh, carts of stuff trying to bring the horde back to town. Uh, you know, the heroes moved on to bigger and badder things, but now there's a power vacuum. So that lizard folk tribe we just spoke about is trying to search the horde for some long lost item that is steeped. All of these types of things start coming into my head. Like, these are great campaign ideas. Moving on. Moving let's on. Let's talk about the 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 800-pound gorilla in the Fizzbin's book. If only it was 800 pounds. Chapter 5, The Draconomicon. <laughs> I think he's hungry, folks. Always. <laughs> we haven't Always. Ordered, we haven't ordered five guys yet, so... <laughs> Operative word, yet. <laughs> and oh yes, it's, it's I'm getting happen. the Cajun seasoning on that burger. Ooh, <laughs> I think I'm glad there's a door on the guest room. Because <laughs> that's how Lerone gets it done. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, how to sum up my feelings about Chapter 5... The Draconomicon. I uh wow. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. The depth of this chapter is insane. The care. This is something that we talked about with with uh we keep talking about Splinterverse, but that's something we talked about with the Splinterverse Feywild book was the care that they took with the with the the intellectual property to really make the intellectual property robust. And make it sing and make it just so good. I agree with you. This book is a wow. And I would describe it this this chapter's a wow. My number one favorite 2E product was the Draconomicon. My number two was the Drow book that they did at the same time, yeah. or right around the same time. Yeah. Those two books, black covered, soft covered, wherever. And interestingly enough, if you took these pages out and put them into a soft cover, it's about that size. If this was its own product, this would be my number one Watsi book. This is the section that is why this is going to be my go-to book. Like I will be pulling this off the shelf more than other books yep. because of this section. I will be using this a lot. The folks at D&D Beyond, they're going to see a bucket of clicks <laughs> for the stuff that comes out of this area. There will be data on how good this section of the book is. Yep. And it will be striking. Yeah. I have no doubt. Yeah. 
all the things I loved about the Draconomicon and 2E, I love about here. What it does for the game of the time is what this does for this game in this time. Yep. Fantastic. I mean, you're getting a look at each dragon. You're getting a look at each dragon's lair. You're getting a look at their life cycle. You're getting a look at their bonds, their flaws, traits, adventure hooks, connected creatures. Named creatures. Named, named creatures. Yeah. You're with for every one of these, you get a named entity that you can speak to. There's lore, there's history that connects it to some part of the multiverse here. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. You want to tie your homebrew campaign into some element of the multiverse? Why not use a damn dragon? You've got what it takes to do that. I just love this. Gorgeous maps. Gorgeous maps. Uh, the color that they chose to use off of the color of the paper, which is fairly standard yep. for what they do, they really made the right choices. Yep. All the right things stand out here and absolutely brilliant. I, I'm not really sure how else to go ahead and say how good this section is uh, than what you just said. And honestly, the big thing for me was the map out of each of these individual layers. Because, like, you know now that the, these now that they are in a canon book, you know that we're going to be able to get maps of these layers so that they are playable areas and all that sort of thing. If they're not already available as VTT downloads somewhere. Yeah. Well, they in theory they should be a VTT available on Roll Twenty if you buy the book through. Okay, cool. Roll Twenty would be my guess. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily want to play it in the sepia version though. I'd want to play it like in a full color. Yeah, blah yeah. blah blah. Right. Somebody's going to do that up and put it on the. Someone's going to do that. I mean, we saw that when Candlekeep came out. They had map. They had maps of every one available within a week, you know, and a hundred people were doing them. So I am sure that we will go ahead and see all the sort of stuff. I am sure that. The 25 companies right now that are making their own kind of virtual map makers, I'm sure that they are taking the lessons that are spelled out in here about how these maps are made from a rolling of the dice point of view, like how do storytellers yep. make these on the fly. I, I love the fact that they gave us named versions of the dragons. I love the fact that they gave us so much about how each of these dragons are different. And yep. how they emphasize the differences between all these dragons. It's it's really just, I mean, even beyond that, like this book had seven new types of dragons that had never been in a book before. Never. Uh, or at least not in 5e. I mean, not they, in 5e. They, they've been in earlier editions. Gem dragons, I think, were in 3.5 at some point. Okay, that, that's entirely possible. I, I, honestly, I honestly don't remember. Yeah. yeah. That more goes to go ahead and show you just how little dragons kind of factored into my process when I was running games. Like, I've never run a game with a dragon. Never. I always have. Uh, they've always been a major factor. I ran a game and I had a major NPC was a dragon that somebody befriended. Uh, Yuhu was the name of the dragon. For, <laughs> and and it, it was a bit of a lark, but it was fun. It was one of these things where I've always loved dragons. I think it's the fact that they can be ancient and they can be intelligent, yet they still have this bestial nature. Uh, I love that interplay. The fact that the personalities between the various chromatic types and the various metallic types are so vastly different one to the other. Uh, and then there's so much gradients of difference between within any one type. To have a blue dragon that still has all those great blue dragon traits, but strives to be more eloquent than other blue dragons or strives to be more whatever or a red dragon who is in anger management classes for lack of a better phrase but still has that 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 capricious nature um you know those are the things that i love about dragons they just play to all those things you know the dragons that walk around and try to blend with society yeah. and, and all of that and then there are some dragons that are just I'm going to get you. White dragons are among my favorites. I've said that before because generally they are not the smartest. They are very bestial. Even in the game I played, the white dragons that I'm dealing with, they're a bit beyond the, the typical dragon. And though I've been doing it before this book came out, now I've got some canon stuff and some extra ways to really 
ramp up what I've been doing to really drive some points home, give it some visual oomph uh, or some verbal oomph that I didn't necessarily have before. So I always loved kind of the um, uh, the dragons that were a little bit outside of kind of the normal. Uh, I, I in general like characters and, and NPCs that are a little out, kind of outside the normal the normal sphere. And so I really gravitated in this book to things like the deep dragons and the shadow dragons. I thought that they were particularly well written. I love that you say that because you who was a shadow dragon, but continue. The width and breadth of information that they put into this chapter in particular, man, like that's, I just absolutely love it. Uh, so you talked about, about the great worm. Do you think that that was like your favorite dragon from this chapter? Or was there, was there one, was there another one that you preferred over that one? I love the dragon turtle. Yeah, I love Dragon Turtles anyway. Like they're and, just and to be fair, a lot of that is because I'm playing in the play by post. I've talked about it on the show before, but I'm playing a warlock in the play by post, and the idea was that his patron is going to be a dragon turtle. Yeah, which um, actually is supported in Jimmy's book. Yes, one of the things I absolutely loved about I my character refers to him as the armored one. Yeah, uh, that's the phrase I use. I don't call it out as a as a dragon turtle at all. Yeah, I call him the armored one. And yeah. then he has a chef. He he throws treats in the water. Like we just finished an adventure, so the made a big meal for everybody. And then in the morning, I made two of those special chef chef's treats, yeah. and I take them to the shore and I offered them to to the armored one. Say, take them to whoever you believe deserves your splendor. <laughs> You've given me your power. I return some of that strength to do with as oh. you will. Oh, that's <laughs> so good. That's that's what I love about this game. Like you get to just do things like that in yeah. this game. And so, yes, the dragon turtle is hitting me right, right in the good spots to, right now uh, that I really, really love. But beyond that, yes, the, the great worm is definitely definitively when I, when we got this book, I turned immediately to that page. Like I bypassed everything to go to that page. And the reason is, I was looking for a big bad for my campaign. Hmm. And I knew what I wanted. I wanted a chromatic white dragon and ancient wasn't good enough. My players at level 12 can take a chromatic white ancient. It's a tough fight. Yeah. Not all of them might make not it. Not all of them will make it. Yeah. But they'll 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 easily win that. That's not a that's not a campaign ender if I'm going to 20. I need something that's going to be a tough fight at 20. Yeah. Enter the great worm, chromatic worm, and now I've got something I can go with. Yeah. And that's really, really, really what I wanted. Oh, uh, I wanted that to be where where it hit home. Yep. Uh and it definitively hits home. So something else that I wanted to ask you, and I I'm I hate to keep like throwing questions out to you, but again, being the guy that's running the dragon campaign. The chapter on the white dragon in here. So I know that like primarily you're dealing with white dragons in your campaign. Did you find that there were any changes that you either had to make to the white dragons as you've established them in your game or changes that you wanted to implement because of, uh, because of the white dragon right up in here? Any, anything that you were able to pull kind of like specifically with the dragons that you already used? So interestingly enough, I didn't. I actually have two dragons that people have dealt with a lot in the campaign, a black one and a white one, my okay. two favorites. The black dragon is the child of a ancient great worm yep. that was killed by the white ancient worm. Hmm. That happened because the, the white got other people to do the dirty work for it. <laughs> so this black is going to get its revenge by sending other people to do that. So it is gayest party members in my campaign to seek out and hunt down and kill this white dragon. And so that's kind of the backdrop for my overall campaign world. I have two different campaigns going on in this world. A group is actually trying to find this dragon and try to handle this particular fight. So you've got this ancient worm that's basically knows that things are being sent after it and it is removed from everything else. Every white dragon the players have come across thus far, they've killed. They've actually been taking out this white dragon's family. They're <laughs> building an an enemy as they go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, so because of that, they are. Um, I didn't have to change much because everything they've come across is dead. I don't have to change anything. Yeah, yeah. They have not met the big bad yet, so they all they know him is by reputation. And with the black dragon, I'm going to be revisiting how that works. But the other party chose 
reasonably so, not to fight it. And so because they chose not to fight it then, they have not dealt with it in any meaningful way other than an exceptionally cool role-playing scene. And they have not seen it before. They've dealt with a lot of its minions. Was that the dragon chest scene that you talked about? Oh, no, that was like the father-daughter thing. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So because of that, I don't have to change anything I've done. But now when they go back... And they see these, and they see the black dragon again. He's going to measure up to the hype of the of the earlier role play scene. Cool. Okay. I have the ability to build it out the way I need to. Before I was going to have to do a whole lot of homebrew to get it there. Yep. Now I have the tools. Yep. Easily at hand to get it where it needs to be. Cool. Um, and as far as the white, they haven't met him yet, so it, it's all reputation. So now I can select the options that match the reputation. And honestly. As written, that's pretty much where I was going with it. So, uh, I mean, it really fit. Like, this book answered the questions I was asking. I I don't think you can get much better than that out of a game book. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Totally. I mean, that's sort of what the game books are supposed to do, right? Is like, you know, they're supposed to answer the obvious questions and give you the answers that make most sense. So So that's good to hear. From uh, the Draconomicon, the fantastic central core chapter of this book here, and talk about its other, its counterpart chapter, and that's the Bestiary. We've already talked about the Bestiary a little bit here. Yeah. Um, I think what I liked most about the Bestiary in general was that, A, I kept finding cool things as I kind of read through it. Like, even as we were talking ahead of time, I was like, man, you know what? The Bestiary was the one that didn't really sing for me right away. I kind of kept had to keep at it, you know, but that the more I look at it and the more I dig into it and the more that I read it, the more I find really cool, neat things that I like. I think that that's kind of a neat feature of a chapter that it can keep doing that. I can keep that. I wanted to keep going back to it. And every time I went back to it, I found cool things. That's a nice combination. I will also say that what I like about the Bestiary, and if you look at it kind of as the counterpoint to the Draconomicon, because the, the dragons that are in the Draconomicon have entries in the Bestiary. They have stat blocks in the Bestiary. So what the Bestiary does instead is it takes the very narrative heavy on the story, heavy on the lore, heavy on the on the on the who about the dragons in chapter 5 and it really very succinctly and and correctly makes them what's You've got all the things to go ahead and build your role play. You've got all the things to go ahead and flesh out your story. Like, why are they going after a white dragon? What's the relation between the white dragon and the black dragon? And all that sort of stuff. They give you all that in chapter four, in, in chapter yeah. five. And then chapter six in the Bastyria, like, oh, hey, by the way, when they do decide to go ahead and take on that black dragon, here's, here's how you that. drop that yeah. on the table. Yeah. So when you break out that big old... I see you hiding my black dragon up there. You yeah. can't have it. No. In my game, Ichichalanitsis yeah. is the name of the black dragon in mine. When Ichichalanitsis hits the table, and the burbling of the swamp bubbles, and the cypress trees sink a little lower, and the mist grows a little bit more. Yeah. And the buzzing of the mosquitoes slows. The volume doesn't drop. It just slows. Yeah. And everything just hangs in the air. Yeah. When that moment hits, they're going to know they're in for it. And I've got the stat block to back that mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I really, really, really like about this. Yeah. You know, it is kind of one of those things. And the echo concept, which is not something I had before. Yep. That dragon that got killed, that is the catalyst for this war between these two dragons. I got ideas. And then they didn't just stop there, though. But they did a couple other things. Animated dragon breath. A dragon creating an elemental that's walking around its lair doing its bidding. Yeah. What a great minion. What else is a dragon going to do? He doesn't trust or like anything. She doesn't trust or like anything. Yeah. Why would she create or worry about other things when she can just make an elemental that's basically a product of its power? Yeah. And has no greed. Yep. Has no malice other than that which the dragon has literally breathed into it. Yeah. You know, it's totally, it's fabulous. I mean, it's so flavorful. And I thought the same thing, full admission, once you admit, once you uh, uh, relayed to me what the Draconians were, because I'd forgotten what they were until you mentioned that they're Dragonlance Origins. Like, oh yeah, they're the guys that explode when you kill them. 
Or your sword gets stuck in it. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, and so the way that they that they kind of took the the draconian as a thing and broke it up into its requisite parts. Like you've got infiltrators, you've got skirmishers, you've got kind of you've got draconians that are all these different flavors, different specialties, that kind of thing. So depending on what your campaign is doing, depending on what you want, you have options in here. Um, I yep. thought that, that was really, really nice. We saw the same thing that, you know, they made the they made the, the, the Dragonborn not just player characters, but they also made them in, uh, uh, creatures now. So, you yep. know, so there's, there are, and they, they divide them out into different flavors. So your player who wants to play a Dragonborn, but doesn't really know what kind of Dragonborn that they want to play, what even beyond kind of class and everything like that, but what kind of what sort of type again what type of dragonborn they want to play like do they want to play the champion kind of dragon they're a very proud stoic warrior type or do they want to play kind of like the sneaky sorcerer type or that, that kind of thing they do that with the dragonborn too and i think that that was just a really really nice touch to go ahead and throw in there oh, yeah. there are so many different things that they covered really well in the bestiary and we mentioned the uh the animated breath we mentioned the draconians yep. we talked about the dragonborn options which are great because again as storytellers we need quick hits yep. we need to be able to oh we're in such and such an area uh a dragonborn would be a great creature and i can pull one up real fast and i've got something to, to rock with yep. but just some of the dragon followers that they I have was just gonna say the dragon options, followers yeah you know they've got these different races types and different things that work really really well built-in minions filling yeah. out the world filling out the minions take one of the dragon followers and make them the scribe for uh, a, a a green dragon yeah Make him the representative that has to go to a party because the dragon wants to be their patron or something like that. Like that's like the, the, yeah. that's like the the intermediary or a silver dragon who has one of these basically that's speaking uh, that that that's speaking because the silver dragon wants to be represented, or th this is the one that's going to be uh, you know minding the shop that the silver dragon holds or basically pre-interviewing adventurers to see if they're going to be worthy of the mission that this that the silver dragon is going to give them on silver dragon patron a la tasha is a patron for a party is a really good idea yeah and now you've got somebody who's actually going to be the liaison for that to the party have that character have the conversation when the party meets them you know they have those little conversations my mistress would like to uh, speak with you, but she's very careful about who she chooses. Yep. You may have to do a couple missions first. Oh, you know what that just reminded me of? And it's just like I just saw the view. Do you remember in The Golden Child? When, um, when they, the, the, the main, the Naga basically is behind yeah. the screen and won't display herself. Like, that's the kind of situation that you're throwing up there. It's like, it's like, you know that she's there and you can feel her influence and you can see her, but you can't gaze upon her, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Like, that's, that's the sort of cool bit of, of, uh, of storytelling that you can go ahead and have there. I will say that if there's one thing that kind of stood out to me about the, about the Bestiary is just how many high, I mean, really high CR creatures there are in, in the Bestiary, right? And there seems to be a big spread too. It's like, there's a lot that are like 20 plus, and there's a lot that are kind of in that one quarter to six yep. range, right? And, and this maybe not enough kind of in that like i was looking i was like okay what's a really great like 12 cr 12 because you know i've got a party of five level six adventurers a cr 12 is a tough end of tier fight uh if they're going from level five to level six any of the adult lower end dragons yeah or young higher end dragons yeah uh young red or blue possibly green yeah. If they have the right legendary actions, layer actions, so on and so forth. Yeah. Or an adult white or black. Yeah. Hits that mark. And I think that's kind of, I, I think that's where you got to go with it. And then you put a couple of these followers in with it or give that animated breath, which is a CR6. Yeah. So you take the solo dragon of either of those two groups that I just mentioned, one or two animated breaths, and now you've got a good fight for your party. Yep. And maybe one minion to do some 
uh, on the side pick yeah. off to to create some uh, depth and elevation to your fight. Th- throw some of those dragon followers in there with crossbows and longbows off to the side, yep. so they're throwing down suppressing fire, so that yep. you know, so that your your party of adventurers isn't getting anywhere near the dragon uh, and the dragon without getting, without taking a few hits along the way. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, basically suppressing fire. Uh, I will say that one of the coolest things that I saw in here. We started today's episode talking about the layers and hordes and how that kind of uh, sets up the nature of where the dragon is and what and what the dragon is doing. Uh, I thought the horde scarabs there. Yes. Uh, I thought that the horde scarabs were tremendously cool. And that's more because so I come I come at this from two different points, right? Like so uh as as we as we found out uh in the recording of our episode with Splinterverse uh last night, uh as you have revealed to the world, absolutely te- petrified of spiders. Hate them, loathe them, they're foul Spiders and I have an agreement that they can. Their house is the one outside. My house is the one inside. And as long as they don't come inside, I won't hurt he them. He won't run and scared. Right, right. I won't hurt them. That's what I was going to say. You know. And so uh, the way that I kind of deal with this totally rational fear of mine is by using lots of creepy crawlies in my game. Um, like uh, uh, there was a whole scene this last time where um, uh, my party was. Uh, they had found a. Uh, they're they're chasing this source of corruption. There's this like universal corruption going on, um, and they're chasing the source of it. Um, and they found this cavern that had larger than usual uh, beetles and bugs, right? Um, and they got captured by the bad guys and basically thrown into a jail cell. Um, and in that jail cell, uh, for one, they had to go ahead and like they were like walking through like mag like bug maggots, uh, like swarms of maggots all over the floor, which were just kind of gross and they could just like step on it and that was great. Um, but then um, the swarms of the juvenile beetles that were no longer in maggot form emerging from their eggs to eat them. And they had to basically run from the swarms because there were like a hundred swarms of these things right um so all that to go ahead and say that i love swarms of creepy crawlies i think swarms of creepy crawlies are one of the coolest kind of coolest creatures that you can uh trot out there uh for a campaign because they're so evocative um and so when you get to the horde beetles absolutely love them what i love most about them is that ability that they've got where basically they can they can cover the party in this gold dust dragon with the connection with the lair and knowing where all their treasure is now that the adventurers are covered in the gold dust from the gold from the scarabs the dragon knows where they are you know i i just thought that that was kind of a really neat that's yeah. a, that's one of those things that the players aren't going to think about right they're going to see this pile of 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 bugs they're either going to squish them or take care of them or ignore them or whatever but they're not gonna think oh god what happened to me when i was there right um i think that that's just that's just amazing i think anytime you've got a party that thinks they're getting away with the dragon's horde unscathed i mean they're horribly wrong but even if it, like we've just detailed it kill the dragon you get the horde but now its minions want stuff out of it yeah who got item x y or z i'm going to that town so you've done it. It's near this town. You've brought stuff back. You pawned stuff off. And then you get word that, you know, 30 days after you left, uh, there's murders going on in the town. Right. You know, right. and now the town is blaming you because when you came to town is when this happened. So you yeah, brought yeah, this yeah. curse. Yeah. Now you got to go back to town to solve the curse. And you find out it's somebody who's basically coming after you because of the dragon's horde. And there's this one item that they want. And they basically created the situation to get you back because guess what? You've got the item. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. So let's let's try to wrap this up here and try to see how do we feel about how this book stacks up against everything else that's come out. We are steaming on towards our first anniversary. And it yes. seems impossible that it has already been a year and that it has only been a year. It feels like we have covered and we have covered a tremendous amount of material over the course of the last year. We put out already something over we put out over 100 episodes already this year, which seems insane. And yeah. we are a little crazy about this. Let, let's let's get that yeah. out of the yeah. So if you think about kind of how our how our podcast began, Tasha's where did it go from there? Well, it went to Van Richten's. It went to the Feywild book. It went to Candlekeep. It went to, you know, now it's here with the Draconomicon. We're looking forward to Strixhaven. I feel like I'm forgetting one, but maybe maybe it's with the UAs and everything like that that we're talking about. That, that, anyway, all that to go ahead and say, 
let's take those five, right? Tasha's, uh, Van Richten's, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, Candlekeep, and now Fizbin's. Let's take those five books. Where do you put this book among those five? I think for me that there's a clear... Let me, let me, I will preface that because I can't shut up. I think that in those five, there is a clear favorite for me. For me, my clear favorite is going to be Tasha's. It's going to be Tasha's. Yep. Both from a prose and a mechanics and what it did for the hobby as far as opening up the character creation, setting the stage for the things to follow. Uh, On all those levels, Tasha's has to be number one. Before we dug into this one, I probably would have leaned to Von Richten's. Interesting. Okay, so I... I, I I really would have leaned into it, and and and, and it's interesting because Von Richten's was a book that I internalized more than I would go back to use. I don't often grab it to use it because I'm not doing a Ravenloft campaign specifically. Yep. yep. But I've internalized the process, like what it taught me as a storyteller on how to build suspense, some of those types of things. I've just managed to internalize. And a lot of it was le- not even, maybe taught's a strong word, reminded me. I mean, to be fair, look, I'm an English major. I cut my teeth on creative writing. So I've done a lot of it over the years. And I gotten out of out of habit with it for, for a while. And I think Von Richten's, when it started talking about if you're doing this genre, do these things, really got me thinking about how to do that for everything beyond what the book covered. It really got me saying, I'm constructing this next session. Is this going to be the political drama section? If yes, what are the things I need to do to make a political drama sing? If no, if it's going to be an action beat, what do I need to do to make this the action adventure section of my story? It really made me sit down as a storyteller and think about Session construction, not not just encounter construction, not just adventure construction, not just campaign construction, but session construction. Yeah. And because I run a campaign, I don't have specifically adventures. Like, no one of my sessions is one adventure, right? It is, we run until our time runs out, and I find a good place to stop. And then the next session, we pick up where that goes because I have an ongoing campaign, right? Yeah. So I'm not generally, I am creating story arcs within, but I am not creating individual episodes. Mm. And because of that, that Van Richten's guide really gave me the tools to really think about things in a different way, in a better way that I internalize and I'm using a lot more. I think your observations about why Van Richten's is so good for you is the same reasons why Candlekeep has been so important for me. And I think that uh, it is because the a bulk of the last year has been spent with me going through Candlekeep, figuring out how to go ahead and take the, 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 the missions that are in Candlekeep and making them a five or six hour session that is well-rounded, episodic, and can have players swap in and out. So I've really had to work on my episode craft. Yep. Uh, and I've been using that through the lens of Candlekeep. And so I, I, I think that really all that to go ahead and say, I think, I think I need to spend more time with Van Richten's, honestly, because I do think that like, they're kind of in that like two, three place for me. Like, I think my favorite book is Tasha's. They're kind of in that two, three range for me. Right. So now the question is whether or not I prefer Fizbin's or Wild Beyond the Witchlight. And I don't know which one I prefer. I really don't. I think that, yeah, yeah, I really don't know. You make an interesting point because obviously because I'm playing. Yeah. I have not read Candlekeep nearly as deeply as you. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. So, but I also have a very unique uh, perspective. Well, not unique. I have a different perspective. I have the player perspective. And I absolutely adore Candlekeep. Yeah. I love the adventures. Like, I'm excited. And the best part about the way we've constructed the campaign and the way we've done things is that if I were to hit an adventure league table and somebody just busted out even one of the adventures I, I played in, it could be vastly different. Yeah, totally. And I could still enjoy it very much. I think the only one that I would struggle with is the first one because we really got very much through that. We went almost explicitly by the book in that one. Yeah, so I think that one would be a struggle because I'd be fighting myself in meta-knowledge. However, the other ones, 
other than the attack on the road, yep. be vastly different. Yep. And, and I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. I love that about that book. I also have the benefit because I do run two long-term campaigns that are non-episodic. But I also run a very episodic campaign that has a rotating cast through the Drinking and Dragons yeah. convention. Coming up by the time but by, by the time this is aired, it will actually be that day. Oh, that's right. It'll be tonight. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. it'll be later tonight. But uh, but essentially, I run an ongoing one shot. It is in the same campaign world as that non-episodics thing that I'm doing, the, uh, my Land of 18 Seas campaign. However, it is one naval vessel, a series of experts that are picked to do one mission. So I actually write that in adventure style, and that is designed to be finished in one session. And things that I didn't do right when I first started writing one-shot sh- one adventures, I have fixed. One of my two campaigns was supposed to be a one-shot. Failed. Abject failure at being a one-shot. <laughs> it's now two years deep. My characters, which started at six, are now level 12. And they're one. They're the group that's about to fight the White Dragon. Yeah. Abject failure at writing one-shots the first time I got at it. The next time I went to get at it was with this was with this naval vessel, the, the Wake Runner. And I love that campaign because I've been very successful. It is something I've kind of gone back to the well with. I've done it with Rifts. Uh, I've done it with uh, D20 Modern. And I've done it with all kinds of other Palladium games. I like the concept. I tend to do it with a military organization because a rotating cast of characters works well. Yep. Less suspension of disbelief for me. You were selected or you were present, so you were the one assigned because the other guy was assigned someplace else at the time. Yeah. Mission's going out. The ship's going out. You're the people on board. We need you to go do a thing, right? And so I think that works really well for episodic. But it has allowed me to say, how do I construct it? So I use some tools from the television and movie world. I use an act structure. Act one, give them the mission, connect the characters so they know who they're working with, give and set the setting. Oh, that's my act one. I will do use a host of different things. Am I going to do that with a role-play encounter? Am I going to do that with a, uh, uh, a combat encounter? I try, That's what I try to mix up. Yep. But that's act one. Act two, Dig into the mission. That's usually where you get some exploration, you get some RP, perhaps a quote unquote plandum encounter. I heard that on Three Wise DMs. I love that phrase. Plandum? Plandum. Whereas basically it comes across as a random encounter, but as a storyteller, I like to be prepared, so I'm prepared. It's a plandum encounter. (laughs) Thanks, guys, at Three Wise DMs. Thorin, you and the rest of the crew love your show. All that to say, where would you put Fizzbins against the yeah. other five books? Huh? <laughs> I, 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 I derailed us for a minute, but, but yeah, no, no. Because of that, I would actually struggle with Candlekeep and Fizzbins yeah. versus Candlekeep and Van Richtens. So kind of in that three-four space. Yeah, I, I would say I'm going to have to go Fizzbins, but it's more because I'm dealing with it more as a storyteller side. Yeah, uh, that than not. I think it would be much the opposite. If we were in opposite positions. Well, we are in opposite positions, yeah. and therefore our positions are, yeah. and therefore our opinions yeah. are separate. Yeah. 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 So, I, I mean, if we were in reverse positions, I think I would see Candlekeep first. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but because I'm working with dragons, this is the one that I like more. Yep. Yeah. And I just, I am trying not to let my like of dragons and my, my wants for this book to cloud that I just think this book's got flaws. And I know that... I know that we hit we hit we beat this book up pretty good in our first episode and we have sung its praises in this episode as we kind of uncover the better portion of the book. Mm-hmm. Look at the fact that they have basically ignored cobalts in this book. I after after having them in the UA. Wonder what happened there. I look at sort of the the character creation options in general just seemed very superficial. Like, I'm not saying that they've got to go ahead and come out with a draconic-themed subclass for all 13 classes. I also think more than two would have been appropriate. I guess that that's kind of why this book is kind of pushing... And, and you know, and honestly, I'm preferring the Wild, the Feywild book, another flawed book, over this one, I think. So it's like, yeah... It, 
look, we're living in a golden age of role-playing games right now. And so, like, when, yeah, when it's kind of like we say this with subclasses. It's like, look, just because this is the fifth out of five books for this year does not mean that it's a bad book. It's just not an amazing book like Tasha's was or like Candlekeep was so, or like Van Richten was. And this is, I think, at the end, we just may differ on it. I definitively like Fismas better than Wild by the Witchlight. Okay. And with my mad love for the factions section and my mad love for Faye in general, yeah. it is exclusively because that's an adventure path and not yeah, a, no, that, that's a, fair. And, and not a source book. Yeah. I knew I was getting an adventure path. Knew it. So it's not like I was surprised, but the reality is I wanted a source book. I think I have much better feelings about it because I was able to get a source book. Thanks to Splinterverse. Yeah. So I got my Feywild source book. I think this is a fantastic source book. It's lackluster in the play, player options. But guess what? I got my player options once again, thanks to Splinterverse. Yeah. And I don't necessarily, and, and to kind of paraphrase Matt, I'm not trying to denigrate the work that was done by other creators. Yeah. I think they had a mission. They knew what they were going to do. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew what they had to do, and then they got done what they could get done. Mm. The source book part of this book was fantastic. Character options weren't singing for me. The part that they had to put around the source material to make the source material actually sell was lackluster. I hate everything about that sentence. You know, what Right, I mean? and, and I don't like saying it either, but at the same time, we do live in a golden age of gaming products yeah. where, yeah. here's the deal, I got a great source book, and then I picked up another book to go with it and now i have everything i need and want to do the thing that i want to do yep you know sometimes you got to get a cobalt and a black and decker to get the house built on on a very basic level yeah. i'm gonna be okay with that yeah and i don't think that necessarily means the black and decker is bad i just think it's a reality that we may have to accept that they can't be all things anymore yeah and if that's the case, as long as we have great content creators that are taking care of the missing pieces, then I'm going to be happy with the other pieces that I get. Uh, okay. I suppose. I, I just, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Though I will say this, I'd have been much happier if they just gave us the source book page for 25 bucks, and then I could get the other piece elsewhere. Exactly. Give me the middle 100 pages of this book for 25 bucks, and I'm absolutely singing its praises. Okay, so everybody out there listening, we would love to hear what your thoughts are on this Fizzman's book. What did you love? What did you like? What did you not love? How much do you miss the Kobolds? Do you miss them as much as we do? We'd love to go ahead and hear your feedback, hear your thoughts on this. Um, I'm sure that this is not the last time that we will talk about this book, but at least uh, I feel like at this point we've given uh, we've given it a swipe at least. Uh, to go ahead and uh, you know, and we uh, we changed up a little bit here. We kind of delayed our coverage on this because we really wanted to spend some time with this to really kind of understand what was in here. And I guess that that will be sort of my final word on this is that of all things that we've said about this book, this is a book that you will benefit from the more time you spend with it. Yeah. That is that is definitely my takeaway here is that we, we we talked about it in episode one a lot, but that there there is gold in these hills, but you've really got to dig for it. And uh, and I think that that time uh, will be will be well worth your while. So yeah. my final word on it is this: it did not go down as my favorite book of 2021. It won't be my favorite Watsi book to in total, but it is likely to be the Watsi book I use more often than any other. Yep. I will use this book far more frequently than I use the Monster Manual, and that's a fact. Okay. Well, with that, we are very excited for. Well, by this point, you'll have already heard our live show from JamesCon, which we are, uh, which is in uh, is in real world tomorrow, but is in podcasting land last week. So, uh, yeah. With that, uh, we're going to go order some Five Guys, and uh, we uh, we have a very special uh, date this evening with some dice throwing, so uh, I'm really looking yes. forward to that. So we really hope to talk about that really, really, really soon. Everybody listening to the sound of our voices, for all of our listeners, all of our friends, all of our audience, all of those on Twitter. Just remember that Lee Winnie hasn't signed the NDA yet. <laughs> all right. Understand this. Josh and I are sitting down at a table and we're throwing dice on the same side of the screen again. When was the last time we played together? Alanis 2008. Damn. And I want to say it was April or May. It was Augustus, yeah? I was playing Augustus? 
Oh, no, no. The no, Barbarian Campaign. The Barbarian Campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was, yeah. Yep. Right after my scald died. Yes. Yep. Anywho. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Hope that you've enjoyed these few episodes on Fizzbins. Uh, tell us what you think. Tell us what you love. We want to hear all about it. And get us that Cobalt book. Okay, it's the Cobalt, the, the Cobalt package. <laughs> cobalt package. If everybody starts typing hashtag Cobalt package, maybe we can get them to do something like Unless that. Unless it's wildly misunderstood. That's, yeah. <laughs> if they keep doing it, they'll, they'll, know they'll ask. They'll ask. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water. And now, here's a message from friends of the show.